friends! Welcome back to Diary of a Psychic Medium with me, Amber Amrine. I'm getting a bit personal and vulnerable today. <laughs> I'm going to be sharing my healing journey with trauma and PTSD. I'll be sharing some great little tidbits I've learned along the way and how energy work has helped me in the process to hopefully bring some peace and clarity to any rough patches you are going through or are currently still healing from. So, here we go. The topic today is a little bit heavy, but my goal is to keep it as light as possible. I've always viewed my trauma as a blessing in disguise. So, despite the very real struggles that came out of it, this story is ultimately about rising out of the ashes. Hearing other people's stories about healing and getting past things has always helped me a lot. So I'm hoping to kind of offer that to you and just let you know that you're not alone. We're going to start off with some basics about trauma and PTSD because those are what my story revolves around. (laughs) Trauma is a deeply disturbing or distressing event that causes an emotional response. This may or may not lead to post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD is a very complex disorder, and the symptoms are very dependent on the person and the age at which the trauma occurred. But it'll typically have symptoms like anxiety, depression, hypervigilance, flashbacks, disassociation, guilt, nightmares, and a ton more. (laughs) PTSD has not actually been thoroughly studied, which is very interesting, so there's actually not a lot known about it still. Though it is largely a psychological disorder, it is also very much biological. Your brain, for example, will literally change as a result. I'm just going to skim over that real quick so we have an idea of what's going on physically. The amygdala, which is where emotions and fear are processed, becomes hyperactive, so your fight-or-flight response will be triggered a lot quicker than a normal person. This, then, feeds into the prefrontal cortex, which is where emotions are regulated. Trauma makes the prefrontal cortex hypoactive. So if the amygdala sends a signal that the flight-or-fight response needs to be triggered, the prefrontal cortex will just kind of let it do its thing instead of recognizing that there is no danger and that the response is too severe for the present circumstances. This will make people feel triggered, make them feel very sensitive, hypervigilant, all that good stuff. (laughs) Then the hippocampus, which has to do with learning and memory, shrinks. This can either make it difficult to remember aspects of the trauma, create vivid memories of it, or the person will have a difficult time differentiating between the time of their trauma and present events. So what's really happening in a present moment may become muddled, which can trigger the fight-or-flight response and then turn into a panic attack. This shrinkage also can affect learning. PTSD is a normal response to an abnormal event or circumstance. Our poor little body is just trying to process, survive, and cope the best it can. I was sexually abused from about age 9 to 10 by an uncle. I did develop PTSD from this. While I did have symptoms develop fairly immediately, the effects didn't really fully set in until about two to three years later, so about 7th, 8th grade. The aftermath of everything when he went to jail and all that stuff was very traumatic in its own sense. I started realizing how serious it was 
And this brought me to develop this like concept or thought that I was eventually going to be murdered, which created a sense of impending doom. This created a lingering feeling that I was going to be dying soon, so I struggled with the fear of death for a while. The abuse had always had a very physical reaction. It made me very nauseous right from the very beginning, so anytime I had to express what happened, whether it be to a therapist or a detective, it would make me feel really sick, and it really screwed with my focus, so my schoolwork around this time also suffered. I was also suffering from severe guilt. I felt like it was my fault that the family was being broken apart, and it was all just a lot of emotions for me to process at that age, especially because I have always been very sensitive, naturally. (laughs) As a result, I have very little memory of fifth grade, which is when all of this aftermath processing set in. There's always been a mental block covering that, like a (laughs) band-aid. My parents then got a divorce a year later. I'm an only child, so I felt really alone through all of that, but thankfully I had a really close little dance family that was always there. (laughs) Dance played a tremendous role in my healing and really helped me reclaim ownership of my body. I was already dancing, but instead of it being just a hobby, it became imperative (laughs) for my mental health and for me to function normally. I was in dance classes like six days a week, and I was head captain of the drill team slash dance team at my elementary school. It was my world, (laughs) and my relationship with dance from that moment has always been very deep. Despite the wonderful healing this all brought, I still very much struggled with flashbacks and triggers. The biggest trigger I had, more than anything, was related to outer space. One of the times the sexual abuse occurred was when Mars was close to Earth. We had put out a telescope so we could see it, but since there was an occurrence that happened at this point, I would automatically correlate telescopes and outer space with that, which would immediately trigger a panic attack. If you've been following along, you know how much space was a part of my life, so I went from frequently astral projecting and exploring it to not even being able to look at the cover of a book about it. Eighth grade was the first time since my PTSD really set in that we had a section about space and science. I had a conversation with my science teacher about what happened and that I would have to excuse myself if the lesson became too much for me because space stuff would cause such a full-body meltdown. Luckily, my grandma was one of the assistant principals at the school, so I had like a nice safe space to go to if I started having a panic attack. This space trigger for me was really frustrating because early on in my childhood, I decided I wanted to pursue astrophysics when I grew up but it felt very impossible now. So I had to kind of cut that out of my life for the most part. All of my space books went to the garage and I just kind of had to leave it alone. And that was that for a while. Once my dad and I started to attend the Palladian channeling events at the center, that passion and fire (laughs) about space really started heating up again. I jumped right back into connecting with aliens. I started astral traveling to the planets again, but I knew it was going to be a process. I was just taking it one step at a time. 
I kind of went into sensory overload because my abilities started to open up and naturally bring in murder victims that needed help. So I was all of a sudden confronting everything that scared me. This is a natural part of growth, though, because in order for your frequency to raise to open up to the high-frequency energies around you, you've got to process and release all of that heavy baggage. Luckily, around the same time, a dear friend of mine who I viewed as a big brother started teaching me guitar lessons. I had therapy for a little while after the sexual abuse happened. It started out as family therapy and then transitioned to kind of having some focus on my trauma, but she wasn't a trauma specialist, and I still had a very raw wound there. This friend of mine was very familiar with what I was going through, and he helped me with so much healing. All of our emotions and memories are stored in various areas of our body. Coming from a dance perspective, moving a certain body part, let's say the shoulder, may make you feel super happy or can just all of a sudden make you feel like you're going to cry. So he had a breathing technique where we would basically breathe into each area of the body. If an emotion came up, I would allow it. Up until this point, I did not allow myself to feel emotions at all. I repressed a lot and that was an issue. So this gave me a safe space to kind of start feeling more comfortable with the emotions so that I can kind of take ownership of them. We would discuss where it came from and then I would release it like it was just falling away from my body. When you are bringing up old emotions like that, you don't want to stay in it because then you will mentally just be in it and you won't be able to move past it. The focus is honoring it and then kind of moving back to reality where you are now. Then we'd learn guitar. (laughs) So it was like half therapy session and half guitar lesson. He really helped give me tools to process. And honestly, just having someone to talk to that understood what I was going through was beyond what I could have ever asked for. Having these two safe spaces at the same time, one where I could connect to the energy of space and the other where I could really heal and release baggage, really gave me the courage and confidence to just attack it head on. I love space. It had been my safe space for so long and I was no longer going to allow anything or anybody from getting in the way of that. I moved out a year later and shortly after decided to take a visit to the Griffith Observatory. I'd always wanted to go, but I never knew how I was going to react because it was going to be a very intense exposure to (laughs) space stuff. But I just woke up one day and thought, you know what, today's the day. I'm going to face this and it will be great. (laughs) I went by myself. I went through each of the little displays in the museum area. I went to every show offered in the planetarium. I was probably there for a good, like, three and a half hours. (laughs) My heart was so happy. It was a lot to process, but I finally felt like I was reconnecting with an aspect of myself that I wasn't able to for a really long time. What's curious is I've noticed that people tend to have traumas that relate to their purpose. This doesn't apply to everyone, but I've seen it happen a lot. It's almost like you come into this lifetime 
really connected and open to a certain aspect of yourself and then a trauma or whatever occurs that closes it off and then you have to go through this whole like (laughs) scavenger hunt to learn how to reconnect with it again. A big reason we're here on earth is to remember. Everything feels so separate and so external but that's an illusion. I've talked about this so many times, but everything and everyone is energetically connected. I feel like in order for us to grow and expand collectively and as a soul, we just have to overcome in as many ways as we can that sense of separation. This is just my theory, but (laughs) I feel like that's one of the reasons these things are contracted to happen. Additionally, That process of self-exploration to reconnect to those shutout aspects of ourself is so impactful and life-changing. It naturally allows us to connect with deeper aspects of ourselves, which then raises our frequency, which then raises the collective consciousness. This doesn't by any means mean that everybody has to go through something traumatic in their life to reach that. (laughs) We all have specific missions, but this is just something that I've observed from people that have gone through trauma. Progress isn't made by staying comfortable, you know, and sometimes a specific event is necessary because that's what shapes the rest of our life. I can tell you right now, if my trauma didn't happen, I would be an astrophysicist right now. I wouldn't be making this. (laughs) I wouldn't have pursued energy work and I would not have dived so hard into dance. (laughs) I didn't know how common it was for people to be sexually abused until after it happened to me, so I kind of saw it as an opportunity to really share my story to make other people aware and empower those going through it to speak up and say something, you know, so they can be saved from that situation. Shortly after my observatory excursion, I started attending college as a dance major. I've been in school forever. (laughs) I've consistently worked, so I've never been able to go full-time, but also as a dancer, you need to be like actively working to build your career. So after several years of starting school, I was regularly connecting with and channeling extraterrestrials. I was deep in that world and clientele. My relationship with space was great, and I had a growing desire to take an astronomy course so I could learn more about it and understand the science behind it all. Even though things were better in terms of my PTSD, It felt like a final test, almost, and I was really nervous about it. Mentally and emotionally, my PTSD was pretty much under control, but my nervous system still had a long way to go. It still does. (laughs) Reprogramming takes a long time. (laughs) If something triggers me, I can push it away. I know I'm fine, but my body will start reacting, so I'll start getting shaky My heart begins racing, I get dizzy, I may get nauseous, all of which make me question whether I am actually safe or if I'm missing something. If I give in to it, I have a difficult time differentiating whether I'm about to get murdered or if I'm just sitting at home watching TV, which will then initiate a panic attack. So I was afraid of that happening like it did when I was in eighth grade. But I decided to go for it. You know, I felt like I had to tackle it head on. I got an A plus in the class. I even looked into double majoring in astronomy because I loved it so much. It was wonderful. (laughs) 
It was such a healing and empowering experience. Good boy, Peter. Around the same time I started taking this class, or maybe even a little while before, I started my venture into Reiki. What makes Reiki unique from other forms of energy healing is that in order to do Reiki, you need to go through an attunement. A Reiki practitioner will use certain symbols that unlock specific types of energy for healing, and the symbols, as well as the Reiki energy itself, are operating at such a high frequency, your cells literally need to be programmed to vibrate quicker so you can be a conduit for the energy. It's basically an initiation to connect your body to the pure energies of source. Before an attunement, you naturally go through a detox to release any lingering heavy energies so that your body's frequency can raise. Time isn't linear, so energetically your body will know when the attunement is coming and will begin this process of detoxing about a week or two before the attunement actually happens. For each level of Reiki, the frequency your body is naturally like resting at will continuously raise. Some people venture into Reiki not so much because they want to become a healer, but because the attunement process naturally begins opening up your psychic abilities due to this frequency raise. I started with Usui Reiki, which is the standard version of Reiki that was brought to the West. I was trained through to the like master slash teacher level. Then I moved into Karuna Reiki, which is a gentler, more powerful form of Reiki healing that heals on the cellular, cellular, that's a hard word, cellular level <laughs> and is really effective at tackling trauma. Once I became attuned to Karuna Reiki and began to actively use it on myself, I started to have a lot of epiphanies and intense moments of release. The word Karuna comes from Sanskrit and essentially means compassionate action. So the energy focuses on oneness and having compassion for everyone and everything, which took me down a very deep awakening path of healing. <laughs> I started reflecting on the situation a lot, just exploring answers for it, which opened up a flood of memories. One day when I was four years old, I was hanging out in my grandma's bathroom she has a lot of little trinkets, cool mirrors, fancy clips, and stuff like that that I'd play with. <laughs> so I was in there by myself and got this premonition. Immediately after, I remember actually stating aloud that an older man was essentially going to be touching me inappropriately and that it would happen when I was a little bit older. I was really young. I didn't know what it meant. You don't understand those things at that age. So I saw it, said it, and then just let it go and never thought about it again. Fast forward to a week before I told my parents what was happening. They both had the same dream. It was something like they didn't know where I was. They were calling my name. They heard crying, but they couldn't tell where it was coming from. And then they finally found me in the downstairs bathroom. I was crouched in a ball, naked, crying. I want to say the dream was in black and white, which was interesting. I could be wrong. About a year after that, my mom and I had the same dream. In it, we were at my grandparents' house, and they had a green pet parrot. I was walking the parrot on a leash, like a dog, out in the front porch, 
And slowly, different parts of the bird started turning into paper until it was like an origami bird and wasn't a living animal anymore. I remember we brought this dream up to the therapist, and she had a little dream dictionary with her. What we ended up piecing together was that this was essentially a sign of releasing and healing from a situation that had been consistently weighing on me. I don't remember the exact meaning we came to, but I remember it bringing a wave of relief over me. It gave me so much hope for the future. As all of these memories were flooding in, I started realizing how this was an essential experience for this lifetime. It almost felt like a mountain that was set there that I was just inevitably going to have to climb, but there were warnings and signs along the way to help all of us navigate through it and prepare a little bit. I would sometimes write letters that I wouldn't send to get my feelings out, so sometimes when I was having a bad mental health day growing up, I would write my uncle a letter kind of telling him off, (laughs) and then I'd burn it after to release the emotions. This time around, after all of these memories started coming forth, I decided to write him a thank you letter instead. Rewinding back a couple episodes, I talked about how those we have the biggest issues with in this lifetime are often the ones that care the most about us in the afterlife. Well, I approached the situation from this perspective just because I want to be fully transparent and hopefully help pave the way for someone else going through this. (laughs) I'm going to read you the letter I wrote. All right, it says, Dear Larry, Thank you for your presence in my life. It came with its mighty costs, but being sexually abused has brought so much good to my life. It has allowed me to chase healthy, respectful relationships, made me mentally and physically stronger, allowed my empathy to raise, and fueled me to overcome any hardships that come at me. It has also inspired me to rid myself and my life of negativity, whether that be in situations I am put in or people around me. I am a fighter now and am ready to stand up for what I feel is right. Your presence has given me a mission to lift up those who have been put down and taken advantage of. It has allowed me to undergo so much self-reflection and understand myself and why I do things, as well as other people. I'm not sure who I would have been had I not been sexually abused, but I know I would not have made it to where I am now. Thank you for making such a sacrifice to allow me to reach the level of understanding I currently am at. It was a pivotal moment in my life and one that will always fuel my success. Thank you so much for your sacrifice, Amber. It took me a little while to fully feel okay with the fact that I wrote a thank you letter. It wasn't easy because I didn't want to be telling myself that it was okay that he did that because it absolutely was not. But once I got to the point where I was looking at it from a higher perspective, where I wasn't looking at it as a personal attack, but a prearranged situation that I chose for myself, I got so much closure and I literally felt my nervous system reset a little bit. Like it ignited this mass download for my body to realign. Even now, reading that aloud, (laughs) my body is like really tense and I feel a little bit sick, but I know that's just a sign that I have some more healing to do. As humans, we're always looking for answers to things. Sometimes there's a lot we're not supposed to know in a moment, but the act of exploring probable answers 
always leads to such wholesome discoveries. We all have skeletons in the closet (laughs) and things we still need to learn and release, but at the end of the day, emotions and memories are just vibrations. They are energy, and we decide which energies we want to hang with and which we don't. (laughs) People that have gone through a lot usually feel more comfortable in heavy emotions, heavy energies, because that's what they've gone through the most, you know, so it's more predictable. For a long time, I had issues feeling happiness, excitement, love, because I mentally would always tell myself that they weren't going to last. There was always going to be a low, so to prevent myself from feeling let down or having the low hurt more, I would just put my attention on it and didn't really allow my energy to raise very often or for very long. This is all subconscious programming. I've talked about this often. This is how we've learned to survive in the world. But we shouldn't just want to survive. We deserve to thrive. That's a really sad, (laughs) heavy way of living, you know? So I started to realize how much I blocked my own path. I didn't feel worthy of success or opportunity. I've always had a very workaholic, hustle-type mentality, but that was making me feel like I was running up an escalator that was going down. It was burning me out for very little in return, and this whole perspective shift was a very big turning point for my life. I still had some difficulties sticking to this new mentality I was creating, but one thing that really helped give me the courage to carry it out was a famous quote by Marianne Williamson. It's a long one, but it's important, and I'm going to read it out loud for you. (laughs) Here we go. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. I would read that quote every morning and it gave me the confidence to accept abundance, opportunity, success in an effortless way, not just for me, but to give those around me the courage to do the same. When we are put in an uncomfortable situation, we tend to put walls up. This is different from a boundary. A boundary differentiates what energy is yours and what energy is somebody else's, but a wall completely blocks any energetic interaction from happening. The issue with walls is that while they may seem to be protecting us from an external force, they're actually closing ourselves off to an aspect of ourself. For example, we may put one up if we feel like there is a person nearby we can't trust. What we're actually doing is telling ourselves that we don't have the ability to protect ourselves. We feel weak and vulnerable, like we aren't strong enough to protect ourselves from danger, so we're adding to the illusion that we are less than, that we are separate from that person. That wall 
is blocking you off from that portion of yourself that knows its power, that knows in its heart that it is capable and strong and in control of its surroundings. We all come from the same thing. When you look at the higher levels of reality, all of our energy intertwines. The challenge on Earth is to go against that feeling of separation and understand you are that person that is threatening you (laughs) and they are you. The energy that you put out to them will be reflected back onto you. If a person is volatile and you start feeling vulnerable, that will be relayed through your body language. Language is much more than verbalization. We naturally grow to subconsciously pick on little nuances, you know. So if a person is feeling the need to lash out on someone and you are energetically and physically giving them the go-ahead, you will be the target. Sure, some things are contracted and need to be played out, but it always starts from the energetic and comes down to the physical. That's why people may have a weird suspicion that something's going to happen before it does or have dreams or premonitions about it. Lucky for us, energy is constantly in motion, so you can immediately switch it around and renegotiate those contracts, but it also requires you to fully embody the renegotiation you're looking for. You can't say you don't want someone to attack you, but then still energetically feel like you're open for attack, you know? You gotta state it, be it, and allow that new reality to happen. That is how we stop old, unwanted cycles from constantly repeating. This all takes a lot of work, a lot of reflection, meditation, some journaling maybe, and even a cleansing bath. (laughs) 2020 was a beautiful year for this work because we were all forced to be home with ourselves. So issues and imbalances became clear and we were given a reset in a way to start over and decide what we want to bring with us, and what we want to leave behind. This process is not comfortable, but we're in charge of how we view it. If we constantly tell ourselves, God, this sucks, (laughs) our body and mind are going to correlate healing and releasing with negative feelings, so we'll naturally become reluctant to give in to these opportunities. If, however, through the tears we say, this is great, I'm releasing, I'm processing, I'm becoming aligned with who I am, (laughs) then it'll make the process feel a whole lot lighter. If we give in to the process of healing wholeheartedly, the changes are able to be established quicker and the process will be a lot less painful. It's still uncomfortable, growth doesn't happen in our comfort zone, but it doesn't have to be horrendous. Also, when it comes to healing from trauma like this, what helped me a lot is understanding that releasing and healing isn't about removing things or separating yourself from a situation. That situation is a part of you, it's a part of humanity, it's a part of source. What you are releasing is your perspective on it and all of those heavy emotions associated with that perspective. It doesn't change it, but you change the angle from which you view it. You understand that it doesn't define you. It's simply a moment in time that you agreed to experience because you knew how valuable it's going to be. You are always in control because you are everything and you are deciding how you want your life to be structured. With this last big collective shift from 2020, I've seen an incredible surge of people reaching a frame of mind where they're giving themselves permission not to suffer anymore. It's time for things to go right, goddammit. <laughs> Own it and believe it. <laughs> I'm sending you so much love. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. 
Thanks for listening to Diary of a Psychic Medium with me, Amber Amrine. To learn more about what I do, visit channelwithamber.com. For future updates on the show, to give some feedback on future episodes, or to just connect, follow me on Instagram at channelwithamber. Shout out to Unicorn Heads for my theme song, A Mystical Experience. See you next time.